podcast family, as you well know, our show's tagline is Medicine Moves Fast, and it really does. Back in March of 2018, ACOG's practice bulletin number 192 on management of alloimmunization during pregnancy stated that cell-free DNA testing for fetal RH genotype to find out if the baby was RH negative from the maternal blood was just not readily available. But now, because medicine moves fast, it is absolutely readily available, and it's on the market today. Now, we're going to discuss a specific NIPS test, that's non-invasive prenatal test in this episode, that's made by the company Unity. I have no financial disclosures to make about this, and they are not a sponsor for this episode. But I do find what they're doing very, very fascinating and very cool because they are, right now, the only NIPS test that can actually do two remarkable things. One is look for recessive genetic conditions in the child without looking at the partner uh, of the patient, without looking at the male partner. And I'll explain that in a minute. But as it relates to what I'm talking about now, having to do with RHD isoimmunization or alloimmunization, it can now detect fetal RH type, the antigen type by genotype, as well as other antigens with extremely high accuracy. And I'm going to explain that in this episode. So in our episode, I thought I would focus on this whole new evolving world of anti-D isoimmunization or alloimmunization, if you prefer. Both mean the same thing because there's been two big updates regarding this. First is the need, or rather the no need, for Rogam in the first trimester as we now figure out that isoimmunization or alloimmunization in the first trimester is actually pretty darn rare. We're going to discuss that in this episode. And because we're talking about updates on RHD alloimmunization, we're now going to focus on, as a second part of the episode, on this unity test for NIPS cell-free DNA testing to find the fetal RH status and why that actually is a really good thing. We're going to explain in this episode. Once again, the title of this episode is the current update uh, on the status of RH sensitization and new information that we have. So we're going to talk about Rogam in the first trimester. Is that really necessary? It turns out that it's not. And we're going to talk about screening or evaluating the fetal RHD status from the maternal serum through non-invasive prenatal tests. So those are the two things we're covering, all right? Rogam and sensitization in the first trimester under 12 weeks specifically. And then we're going to focus on this new test called Unity um, that can actually detect the fetal RH status. Lots of very cool data. So let's get into that now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Obviously, everybody agrees that the identification of the D antigen group, right, which makes up three specific antigens, the letter C, letter D, and then the letter E, all that is the rhesus antigen group. Um, the, the ability to identify that and then prevent it and obviously treat it has been one of the great success stories of obstetrics as, honestly, the, the condition of hemolytic disease of the newborn is completely preventable, uh, now recognized, and has been totally flipped upside down since the identification of this antigen and the ability to mass produce ROGAM, which is Rh immune globulin. Now, before we go any further, we do have to clarify this question. Is there a difference or what is the difference between the term alloimmunization and isoimmunization? Because sometimes you hear some articles talk about isoimmunization and then some say alloimmunization. What is the difference? Anybody? Anybody? The answer is none. It's semantics. They are both absolutely the same thing. And that's where people get kind of confused on this. Like, wait, is it isoimmunization or allo? The answer is yeah, whatever. I mean, it's the exact same thing. For uh, uniform nomenclature, ACOG has adopted the term alloimmunization in its two practice bulletins. Remember that one practice bulletin has to do with prevention of RHD alloimmunization. That's practice bulletin number 181. And then the other practice bulletin, which is the one that we mentioned in the intro, is the actual management of RHD alloimmunization, right? So one is for prevention, and then the other is for the management of the condition. But the short answer to the question of what's the difference between ISO or alloimmunization, the answer is no difference at all. Also, we have to put this thing in perspective that uh, honestly, the vast majority of pregnant women are going to be RH positive, at least in the U.S., because there are some geographical differences, all right? So sorry, those in the international podcast community uh, for our uh, for our channel. You got to figure out what your rates are for where you live. But in the U.S., according to ACOG, the CDC, and even the American Association of Blood Banks reminds us that 85% of pregnant women here in the States are going to be RH positive. 85%. So that leaves only 15% who are RH negative. The most common blood type in the U.S. is O positive, with around 38% of the entire U.S. population having that type of blood. Again, that's O positive. But O positive blood is the most common in Latino Americans than other ethnicities, with around 53% of Latino Americans having O positive blood type. So that's a little fact there, a little factoid for you. Now that we've settled those numbers, we all get the basic plan here, right, for prevention of RHD maternal alloimmunization. So you get a mom who's RH negative, and we're like, okay, and then we got to get an antibody level. And in, because we don't know what the child has, 
there, there's two things to do there. We can test the partner and see if the partner is RH positive blood type. And then we have to know the genotype to see what's the propensity that the child could also be uh, RH positive, in which case it could trigger an immune response in the RH negative mother. So in this case, remember RH negative mother, uh, we have two possibilities here. Check the RH status of the child, which traditionally required either a CVS uh, or amniocentesis to get uh, the fetal uh, RH uh, type from the red blood cell. Or you could check the partner, of course, and look at the genotype of the partner's blood to determine if the baby's at risk and the degree to which it's at risk. Okay, so either check the partner, which in some cases cannot be done in our population. Sadly, either the partner is not around because they're in another country by an invasive means. All right. But but of course, now there's non-invasive means. And that's the second part of the episode. I do want to clarify this point here because identification of the fetal RH antigen on the red blood cell or whatever antigen you're looking for is vital and is really only done if the mother has the antibody against that specific issue, right? We're talking about if she's alloimmunized. Otherwise, if the patient is RH negative and her antibody screen is negative, then that's a whole different thing. That's just give Rogam or not. Uh, and then, of course, always check that uh, repeat antibody level before Rogam is given so you don't mask alloimmunization. But this is where this value of this test comes in because, as we'll talk about in a minute, up to 40% of women who are RH negative with a negative antibody response actually are carrying a fetus who's also RH negative and don't need the medication. Guys, that's 4 out of 10 based on published data. So it's vital to determine the fetal red blood cell antigen if the mother has a specific antibody against it. That's for sure. That's where you really have to find the fetal uh, antigen type. However, if the patient is RH negative, there's also still value in knowing the fetal RH status because you could prevent Rogam being given if it's not necessary. But before I get into that part, I want to focus on this issue of threatened ABs, spontaneous miscarriage, or in those who have an early first trimester termination of pregnancy uh, under 12 weeks, how this thing has changed, all right? Because the traditional thought was any accident uh, of pregnancy, uh, any accidental bleeding, uh, so whether that was a threatened AB, of course, ectopic pregnancy, molar pregnancy, uh, a completed miscarriage, whatever, that patient required Rogam. And then it went to maybe mini-dose Rogam, which was 50 micrograms, so you don't have to do the full uh, 300 micrograms, which is a typical dose. And now the new data is that's probably overkill. At least uh, it is from 12 weeks down. Okay, now this does not apply, and be very clear, what I'm about to tell you does not apply from 12 weeks up, where that data is like you probably should just give them Rogam anyway. But the data says that from 12 weeks down, the the chance of the, of the mom, the RH negative mom, getting sensitized from some kind of pregnancy event, whether it's a spontaneous miscarriage or an elective termination of the pregnancy under 12 weeks, the chance that that RH negative mother gets immunized is actually pretty darn small uh, to negligible to zero, okay? Now, this is not just a U.S. thing. I know what you're thinking. Oh, my gosh, it's just a way to open up doors so that people who want uh, telemedicine terminations don't have to come in for RH testing. 
And the truth is, yeah, there's some of that. Uh, And remember, this podcast is not political. I am not getting into that. Whether somebody is uh, pro-termination or or not, that's irrelevant. My point in saying this is, uh, whether it's a spontaneous loss or an elective stopping of the pregnancy at 12 weeks or under, the chance that the mother is actually sensitized, whether it's it's just a spontaneous loss or with uterine instrumentation, guys, is is negligible. Okay, so if your first thought is, well, I'm just going to give a rogam anyway. I mean, what's the harm with that? And the truth is, there's very little harm, except it's the cost, it's the expense, and more importantly, is that rogam is a sacred commodity. Remember that rogam is not uh, synthesized in a lab. It, it, it is pulled from human blood samples. And as we've all been obviously painfully aware, that supply chain shortages and blood uh, shortages are real. So rogam is a blood product. And if we can save that to patients who actively need it, uh, rather than spending it on those who who where the benefit is is literally just theoretical and possibly not real, like those under twelve weeks, then that's where the value comes in. Well, I guess I need to clarify this because someone's going to send me a message. Rogam isn't made from the blood of donors. No, it's actually not. It's made from the plasma of donors. I mean, I, I know someone's going to point that out because that's the kind of message that I get sometimes. So to be very clear, I'm reading it right off the Rogam website. Rogam is made from human plasma, so technically not the entire blood product. Uh, It's made from human plasma, okay? That's why I remember that Rogam still has that potential, although super theoretical risk, of carrying some viruses uh, like Kreutzfeldt-Jacob. And again, super theoretical because it's so well screened and the process is so well refined. But the point is you can't just make this, crank this out in the lab. Uh, this requires uh, a human samples, a human uh, donation. And if people don't give plasma, people don't give blood for blood products, then, then we're in a hole. And so this is why this has gotten attention, not just for the access to pregnancy termination and all, all that discussion, which is where a lot of this data has come from. Let me just be very clear, including uh, the statement from the um, uh, Society of Family uh, Planning, which we'll read here in a minute, but is equally applicable, again, to spontaneous losses. Because if you don't need it with instrumentation for uh, mechanical, mechanical termination of pregnancy, you surely don't need it for a spontaneous loss. Remember, with the cutoff being the understanding being that we're talking about a pregnancy at 12 weeks and below. Now that we've clarified that, let's get into this issue of either spontaneous or induced uh, pregnancy termination at 12 weeks or below. Because there was a publication that came out in September 2023 that was published in JAMA Network that really gave Uh, scientific empirical evidence that confirmed and validated what population-level data had already uh, shown for several years before, okay? And that population data showed that, look, in the first trimester, the chance that uh, a woman gets uh, anti-D sensitized is, is actually pretty small, and that was all based on population data, cohort studies, But this study that came out, again, in JAMA Network just in September 2023, the first author of which was Sarah Horvath, actually gave true data, I mean, actually studying 
patients who had a first trimester uh, termination to see if sensitization was possible. Now, let me clarify here. This was a prospective study, and it was in patients undergoing induced first trimester abortion, even though, again, this is not a political talk. I'm talking about this as it relates to sensitization. Same would hold true then for spontaneous losses, all right? So I don't want to take any heat for this. This is not uh, making a, a political statement at all. Just this is this is the number of patients that were being studied here in this population. And then they looked to see if there was a significant amount of fetal red blood cells in the maternal circulation that would be necessary for RH sensitization based on previous studies, okay? Now, once again, population-level data showed that under 12 weeks, the chance that a RH-negative patient actually would get sensitized, super, super small. Well, here's what they found through this multi-center observational prospective cohort study that used flow cytometry of the maternal blood that can actually look for circulating red blood cells, which is a much, much better way of actually looking for fetal red blood cells in the maternal circulation than the previous studies uh, had done that actually said that it, that it was possible to get isoimmunization in the first trimester. Th- those had different technologies that were now outdated. What these authors actually found was was pretty striking. In these patients that were analyzed, which the N was 506, they had a baseline flow cytometry to look for fetal red blood cells uh, before the procedure. And then after the procedure, what they found was that there was no crucial level that was surpassed where RA sensitization would be possible. So they concluded, quote, induced first trimester abortion is not a risk factor for RH sensitization, indicating that RH testing and treatment are unnecessary before 12 weeks of gestation, end quote. So we have to clarify again, this is not all the way in the first trimester to the 14-week mark. This is up to 12 weeks. They found that it was just not possible that the, the, the amount of fetal red blood cells using flow cytometry to actually penetrate and cause sensitization in, in the patient, in the mother, was, was nil. This is nothing new because a year before this study came out in 2022, the World Health Organization, the WHO, actually recommended stopping RH testing prior to a procedural termination at less than 12 weeks. So that was based on population observational data. They're like, hey, the chance of sensitization was based on outdated criteria, uh, bad technology. And when you actually look for fetal red blood cells in the maternal circulation past a critical amount that can actually trigger an immune response, um, it's just not there. So the World Health Organization actually made this same recommendation in 2022 without actually having empirical uh, you know, direct observational data to back that up um, because it was just a, on a population level, they're like, it's just not there. So this actually gives value, gives validation to that World Health Organization that actually you don't even have to test for RHD status under 12 weeks. Now, they were talking about, to be very clear, in cases of of termination of pregnancy, which involves instrumentation. So how much more in those without instrumentation that has spontaneous loss or had an NKB and then had a DNC, uh, that would still hold true. 
Okay, so to be very clear, as I said in the intro, this comes a lot of this comes from uh, the Family Planning uh, Association uh, and Society. But the, by extrapolation, then it would apply to any loss under twelve weeks. However, two specific categories here were not included: ectopic pregnancies and molar pregnancies. So the data is still out on that, right? But we're talking about for traditional pregnancy loss at twelve weeks or under. Checking for um, for the maternal Rh status to see if she's Rh negative and needs Rogam, you can still do that, but it's likely unnecessary. Well, not likely based on the data and the world recommendations. It's just not needed. And as we've already stated, that is the same conclusion from the Society of Family Planning, which states, quote, RH testing and administration of Rogam are not recommended prior to 12 weeks gestation for patients undergoing spontaneous medication or uterine aspiration abortion, end quote. All right, podcast family, before we leave this, because I think we've kind of already made our point here. Um, If that makes you uncomfortable, I get it. I am super medically conservative and not giving Rogam or not even checking anti-D, even in a spontaneous loss, does make me very uncomfortable. But it, it is totally okay to not do. I like this statement from the Innovation Education in Reproductive Health website, um, which is a part of the Bixby Center for Global Reproductive Health. And I'll post this quote. Uh, I'll post this link rather on our reference page. Uh, here's the big picture. Quote, the use of Rogam after first trimester miscarriage or abortion is controversial and the standard of care in your community and cost should be considered. End quote. So let me stop there. There's something else that they say. But this this just opens up that allowance that, hey, if you still want to check the RH factor and give a Rogam because that's what you learn to do, that's okay. But remember our tagline here, medicine moves fast. Um, We're probably using a precious resource for very little coverage benefit here. Okay. Now, remember, not talking to anybody from 12 weeks and up, but at 12 weeks and under, whether it was spontaneous or induced, a World Health Organization says you don't even have to check an RH status. That makes me uncomfortable. But I also realize if we're going to be evidence-based, we have to be evidence-based and be okay with not giving it. Well, this innovating education in reproductive health goes on to say, quote, Despite the lack of medical evidence to its benefit, Rogam confers minimal risk, end quote. Well, there you go. So despite lack of medical evidence of benefit, that's pretty harsh. But again, Rogam has minimal risk. So I'm just trying to lay this out to you. You make your own decisions. It'd be a great journal club discussion. Uh, what is your program going to do? Do you revise your PMPs, your policy and procedures? It's something to consider because the chance of alloimmunization or isoimmunization, if you like that word better, under 12 weeks is pretty darn negligible to nil. All right, podcast family, remember we're addressing two main spheres here as it relates to the update in RHD alloimmunization. The first is the ability for a patient to be isoimmunized or alloimmunized under 12 weeks. And then the whole issue of non-invasive prenatal testing for fetal RH status and other antigens. We're going to get into that in a minute. But if your question is, all right, Chapa, you, you talked about the Society of Family Planning, that's SFP. You've talked about the World Health Organization. Great. Um, but what does ACOG say? 
Now, here's again how things move so fast. And, and again, I love the college, love what they do. And sometimes it just takes such a lot, a, a amount of time for this huge boat to turn course that the update hasn't come out yet. So to be very clear, even though World Health Organization, the Society of Family Planning, and even the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists all now have changed their guidelines to forego RH testing and RHIG treatment at less than 12 weeks of gestation, ACOG, I have to be very clear, still recommends RH testing and RHIG treatment, but it says this in their in that bulletin on the prevention of RHD isomerization, quote, despite lack of evidence in support of this practice, end quote. Well, now we have the lack of evidence uh, that it uh, that it actually doesn't help at all. So that may be changing. But I have to be very clear, ACOG, as of now, in that practice bulletin on prevention of RHD aluminization, still recommends RH testing and ROGAM treatment. Uh, but they recognize that it's just not evidence based. So they're going to have to get with the time and, and issue some kind of update uh, to fit in line with other global professional societies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, moving on to our second part of this discussion, which has to do with the ability to check uh, the fetal RH status, which has been around for a while. This is, this is not new information, but the ability for it to now be uh, available commercially and widely available, which is exactly what's not said in the March 2018 ACOG Practice Bulletin of 192, which was, hey, you could check for sulfur DNA, but it's pretty hard to get, and it's not really uh, a thing yet. But now, of course, in, in tw- as of 2023, it is a thing because that's where the validation study uh, came out. So in August of 2023, the validation of non-invasive prenatal testing for fetal RHD antigens, as well as the C antigen E, even K, uh, and FY antigens uh, has now come out in print, right? So this came out in scientific reports uh, in the journal uh, Nature, and and we're going to get into this here in just a minute. But before we get into that data, if you want the title of this, it is Validation of a Non-Invasive Prenatal Test for Fetal RHD, Big C, Little C, Big E, K, and FY antigens. Again, that was scientific reports in the journal Nature, and the first listed author is Brian Alford. So this is kind of neat because remember that the traditional algorithm that we talked about or we alluded to earlier is that if the patient is RH negative, you got to figure out if what the child's RH factor is. And if you don't, just give a ROGAM, which is totally fine. But again, exposing her to a treatment that she may not need. Um, so first look to the partner and get a partner's uh, anti-D uh, genotype if that's available. 
And if it's not available, then traditionally, the only way that you had to actually check the uh, the red blood cell antigen on the child was with an invasive test like a CVS uh, or amniocentesis. And it's in the ACOG bulletin that, yes, you could, you know, check, of course, the um, uh, cell-free uh, NIPS test, but it's just not widely available. But that, of course, has now changed because it's available now. Let me read this directly from ACOG just to restate what we're trying to do here. Quote, the initial management of a pregnancy involving an alloimmunized patient is determination of the paternal erythrocyte antigen status. End quote. So again, this is not just that she's RH negative, is that she's RH negative and of course has potentially some circulating antibody that now we have to see if the child's at risk. Okay. Now, because it was all invasive, then we started going to middle cerebral artery testing to look for uh, Doppler flow, which means now she's getting ultrasounds every one to two weeks. And of course, that raises the maternal stress because we don't know if that child is positive or not. So look at all this ancillary testing that we have to do just to be conservative to protect the child that we may not even have to do if the child is found to be RH negative as well. Does that make sense? So RH negative patient who's found to be alloimmunized, you've got to somehow figure out if that child is affected. Uh, And then ACOG continues, quote, if the father is negative for the erythrocyte antigen in question, and it is certain that he is the father of the fetus, then further assessment and intervention are unnecessary, end quote, right? So if both are negative, then the chance of the child, that the child is positive that can trigger an immune response is nil. So it doesn't matter if the mom has an antibody towards something. If the kid doesn't have the antigen, there's no risk to the child at all. ACOG continues, Quote, in cases of RHD alloimmunization, in which the father is RH positive, the probability that he is heterozygous for the D antigen can be reliably estimated by using RHD antiseria to determine his most likely genotype. This involves mixing antiserum containing antibodies to the D antigen with the father's cells to determine if the D antigen is present. A positive result is determined by agglutination caused by the cross-linking of the antibody with the corresponding antigen. All to say, this is trying to figure out if the father is homozygous for the D antigen, in which all of the children will be RH positive, or if he is heterozygous, in which case there's a 50% child, uh, 50% chance that that pregnancy is carrying an RH positive fetus. All right. So again, ACOG continues to say, given that the genes coding for the D antigen are known, a DNA based diagnosis is also commercially available to genotype the partner. But of course, a partner has to be available. And then lastly, it states that determination of the fetal genotype can be done, but this is not uh, clinically available or not widely clinically uh, available according to 2018. But again, now in 2023, it is clinically available because we have unity now at the prenatal clinic at one of our locations. So yes, it is now clinically uh, available and it has incredibly high accuracy, basically 100%. Just to be clear, it is most important to try to figure out if the child is RH positive if, of course, the mom is found to have a positive antibody screen 
against something that could affect the child. Remember that anti-Lewis antibody, Lewis lives, uh, because they are all IgM and they're too big to cross the placenta. So that's a benign antibody. But if it's a pathological antibody or if the, if the mom has antibody against anti-D, then it's crucial. you got to figure that out. And this is where this test would come in. But even if the patient is not isoimmunized, okay, even if she doesn't have antibodies, if she's Rh negative, there's still value in figuring out if the child now through NIPS testing is Rh negative because if the mom's negative and the kid is negative, then stop looking for antibody screens and don't give her Rogam. You're exposing her potentially to a product uh, that is uh, plasma-based that she doesn't need with additional cost, right? So this is now the world that we live in. Rather than in the past, everybody who's Rh negative, hey, it gets too hard to check the father and it's expensive and you got to make sure that's the father and we're just going to check antibody titers and if you remain negative, you get Rogam and then at delivery, we do the whole process again. Now checking, of course, uh, the baby's blood type because the baby's now born. But if you can avoid all that extra blood test and evaluation, because you know with good accuracy that the patient, uh, that the baby is Rh negative, then then that makes it that much easier. So to be very clear, this is just another alternative. If, if a patient is Rh negative and not isoimmunized, and you still want to do an antibody screen again at 28 weeks and give her Rogam, uh, that's fine. That's totally okay. The point being made here is because medicine moves fast, there is now a way that is validated uh, and gone through peer review to check the fetal's uh, the fetal red blood cell type, and not just for anti-D, but for other antigens as well that are pathological. And if the baby is negative, you can avoid antibody screen and Rogam and then just, of course, confirm that with the baby's uh, blood type at delivery. We are focusing on the update on anti-D status and RH alloimmunization. That's what we're focusing on. But I have to be complete here and talk just a little bit more about this unity thing because this test does have another advantage. Uh, and it's that outside of doing the RHD NIPS test for the child, uh, it is the only test right now that's available that can actually look for autosomal recessive conditions in the child if the mom is found to be a carrier. Okay, so let me explain. Um, you have cystic fibrosis, right? So mom's a carrier for CF. Traditionally, what do you do? You got to go to the partner and go, oh my goodness, you got to get tested. And that may or may not be covered. Uh, the partner may or may not be available. And we're like, well, we got to figure that out later. Um, uh, and so that leaves kind of half the story uh, open, right? Well, now this has the ability through its molecular testing if a mom is found to be carrier positive for some recessive condition, it can now check through non-invasive prenatal tests the baby to see if the baby is affected. Now, that's pretty darn remarkable, okay? Uh, in addition to checking, of course, for things like trisomy 18, 21, and 13, and the sex chromosome aneuploidies. It, it does the aneuploidy thing as well. But it can also check, again, for cystic fibrosis. It can check if the child has sickle cell. It can check for the, if the child has spinal muscular atrophy. Uh, that's remarkable, okay? Uh, so now, in addition to the ability to fetal genotype the fetus with basically 100% accuracy, you can also check for fetal recessive conditions without needing to test the partner. 
I think that's remarkable. And you have to be very clear. This is not, I'm not trying to make this a commercial for Unity. They did not sponsor this. I don't have community shares in this or company shares in this at all. But as part of our evidence-based and medical education platform, you need to know what's out there. And then this is pretty neat. Yes, this is the competitor uh, to uh, to Natera. So you go, well, wait, what is this thing now? Don't we have this already? Is that so free DNA to check for, you know, 18, 21, and 13? Of course, that's Natera. But Natera doesn't have that ability right now validated to check the fetal RH status like this one does. And of course, the ability to detect uh, autosomal recessive conditions in the child uh, bypassing partner testing. Podcast family, we're almost done. Hang in there. And I don't want to get too much into the aneuploidy stuff and the autosomal recessive stuff from this test because our focus is on the RH-negative mother. So again, traditional algorithm for the RH-negative mother was the fetal RHD status was unknown so that all mothers basically received Rogam. But now if the mother is RH-negative, you do have a way to do a NIPS test to determine RHD status uh, with 100% accuracy for identifying RH-negative uh, cells. Uh, and that's important because according to the data, 40%, guys, 4 out of 10 of RH-negative mothers will have an RH-negative fetus. Okay, so in 40% of the cases, we are putting patients through the antibody screen and then Rogam uh, when they don't need it. Now, there's nothing wrong, again, with a traditional algorithm that RH-negative moms get an antibody screen, and if it's negative, you repeat it at 28 weeks and give them Rogam and then check the baby at delivery. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you can avoid giving Rogam to 40% of patients who don't need it, that seems pretty cost-effective. Okay, I really do hope that this does not sound infomercial-ish. Uh, they are not my friends. I don't have family members who work for Unity, but I have to give credit to where credit is due. And because the science here is legit and it is the only commercially available NIPS test that can actually have validated results like this and also check for fetal autosomal recessive conditions, I think it's worth saying. And it fits nicely into our discussion on the update on RHD alloimmunization. So hope you found this helpful. Send me a message on our Instagram. Let me know what you think. Uh, and that brings us to a wrap. All right, podcast family, as always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.